Welcome to the Digital Week, where we aim to make sense of the new economy in under 15 minutes a week. Thanks for listening. It's brought to you by the PwC Chair in the Digital Economy. You'll find us at www.chairdigitaleconomy.com or follow us on Twitter at chairdigeconomy. Also, we're open to really receiving your feedback. I'm Monica Bradley. See you in the Digital Week. Welcome to the Digital Week. I'm Monica Bradley and I'm here in the New World City today with my friend Professor Marek Kowalkowicz. How are you, Monica? It's been a while, almost two months since the last recording. It has been a while, but you know, it's hacking season in the village, isn't it? Mm. You know, every time I turn around, I'm being I'm being asked to hack or judge a hack or participate in a hack, law hacks, tech hacks, next money hacks, you know, dating hacks. Tell us about what you've been involved in. I've been I've been thinking about all sorts of um, innovation that is happening in the uh, in the ecosystem these days, and you know more and more people start talking about blockchain and Bitcoin, and we're trying to 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 understand uh, uh, what the concepts are all about. There's a new book that Don and Alex Tapscott uh, they both wrote, and uh, there's some really interesting reading there. And I thought. Hey, we should at some stage talk about Bitcoin and blockchain. Try to try to um, unpack that concept. So there's no time like the present. I read mm. a great quote this week. It said, "One person's friction is another person's profit." So, do you think that might really be what the basis of blockchain is? It's removing friction. That's exactly the point, right? So, so um, Bitcoin and blockchain, and and in a while we'll start talking about uh, either of the technologies. Uh, so I'll explain what Bitcoin and what blockchain is. Maybe you can is. do that now. Why don't you just oh, jump right in? What is blockchain? Absolutely. So, so blockchain is a technology, is a so-called distributed database. But you know, let, let me uh, let maybe me not technical. Them. You exactly. know, I'm a lay person, right? I'm not a zero and one girl. Um, so let's unpack it in a way that you know, regular business people, our listeners, can understand. Yeah. So imagine you're a bank customer, and right now a bank keeps a database of all your transactions. They're a trusted institution and they take care of this particular database. Now, with blockchain, what's going to happen and what is happening is the database is being distributed. So it's all over the place, all over the world. Mm -hmm. And it could be bits and pieces here, bits and, uh, and pieces there, copies are, are stored all around the place. And then there's a, an algorithm, there's a mechanism be uh, behind the whole data exchange process which ensures that whatever is being kept in this distributed system is just as trusted and in many cases could be more trusted than what your bank would keep. Well, wow, it's a little bit of a hard sell though for those uh -huh. industrial age thinkers that yeah. think of the bank being the secure vault. Now you're saying, oh, my, my transaction can be distributed all over the world. Mm. You know, to the untrained eye, it seems a bit like it would be more risky. So how do you, how does this, this how, why is it more trusted? So there's so there's strong science behind it. That's uh, that's the that's the first thing and, and we, uh, we can prove uh, we can prove that this is much more uh, secure than a than a typical approach. There's also a very strong social mechanism be, uh, behind uh, uh, blockchain, and specifically when we look at Bitcoin, which is that cryptocurrency that is using blockchain as a technology behind it. There are some social mechanisms involved where you have individuals ensuring that the trust that you have in that uh, in that system. Mm, awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if blockchain is this great remover of friction, mm. um, do I need a bank? Do I need a lawyer? 
if I've got a blockchain? Like, what is the level of disruption that might happen to various sectors? So, so that's an excellent question because you know what's going to happen. Uh, think about blockchain as as a, a ledger, a place where you keep records of transactions. So an intermediary, right? Exactly. It could be your it could be your your identity. It could be your medical records. And then, uh, excellent excellent point. You know, it's it's your digital identity. It's your intermediary uh, holding that that identity. You could get, give others access to that information. So there still is a place for banks. There still is a place for banks, uh, institutions that allow you to, say, transfer money, for instance. But some of the activities that banks are performing at the moment would not be needed to be performed by banks anymore. So, look, my mind has just exploded. Mm. Um, so I'm now thinking, is it, you know, could I use blockchain to, for instance, validate IP, you know, in a technical sense? Who owns it? Where is it? You know, who's got rights to it? Anything where you need to track provenance of something, okay. it's a really good idea. So okay. with IP or, uh, you know, scientific discoveries, mm -hmm. you as a scientist could uh, submit your discovery to this distributed database and then there would be others in the whole ecosystem confirming, hey, Monica just submitted something. So uh, so this is that ledger approach. Okay. And what about my education? Like at the moment I have an academic transcript or I keep my, you know, someone has my is keeper of my grades um, or even my jobs that I've done, right? my career, my CV. Where does that fit into the blockchain? We will see universities and maybe non-universities implementing blockchain that will start storing your education history. And uh, think about all of your certificates or of your badges, uh, uh, course uh, certificates and so on. This can be stored in blockchain. This could be verified by others, confirmed by others, and then you could start sharing it with, with everyone else. Mm, wow, I'm seeing a whole lot of plugins for LinkedIn there. And like, what about in the accounting area? So we've, we've dealt a little bit with financial services, like you could probably, banks will take on a different role because they're not the trusted vault in the middle anymore. They're part of a, a wider player value exchange. But, you know, how might it affect a suburban accountant? who has a small practice, works with small businesses. I think this this is um, uh, very, very linked to the concept of digital identity that we talked about before, whereas, uh, where, where blockchain will be used to store all the information. So your suburban accountant will be able to get access to the information that you'll share with them, so your digital identity being stored in blockchain. And look, uh, you mentioned large banks. Some of them are looking into implementing blockchain to, uh, to, uh, so to basically replace their centralized databases. Microsoft has uh, their Azure Ethereum uh, mm. uh, system where you can actually build blockchains already now. So it is all coming together and both the incumbents, if you will, the large banks and also the small accountants will potentially benefit from it. Well, and I know our very own um, ASX here in Australia has also invested a couple of projects in mm. looking at it from an exchange perspective of mm. equities exchange, obviously. So tell us a little bit about where you think then, obviously international regulation may have to shift to accommodate this? Uh, absolutely. So, so that's that's the thing with uh, uh, with technologies like this one, right? They they basically they don't see any boundaries, right? So there's there's no way at this stage of saying, hey, this particular decentralized ledger, decentralized database is going to operate only in Australia. There's no such concept, right? It just it naturally uh, spreads. So you could have so-called uh, blockchain miners, individuals who confirm the the, the the transactions in the in the distributed ledger. 
they could be sitting somewhere else. They could be sitting in Germany, in China, in South Africa. Uh, and so definitely we will need to talk about international regulation, where, especially in the cases where we need to ensure that the data stays in the country and so on. Yeah. So if we thought regulating uh, Uber was uh, was going to be a struggle in each jurisdiction, I, I can just see this on steroids. World banks, you know, how people are going to be involved in it. Um, I guess there's an application also in the medical field. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, how do I get my medical results to whoever needs to know them at the point they need to know them? And Absolutely. And again, and, and again, this is this is a, a matter of trust. So with medical records, you might have different contributors to your to your medical ID, if you will, right? So you could be, uh, I don't know, measuring your weight and, and heart rate by yourself, then your doctor would be doing something else and so on. So all of it coming together could be stored in a, in a distributed database like this one. I guess it also enables then, obviously, uh, who I then choose to be advised for or to manage or to be the manager of my health or well-being that, you know, it enables because this distributed factor of technology, I, it not necessarily is a GP I would go to in my local suburb. Absolutely. I could consult someone that gets Absolutely. that data. There's one, one one potential issue, though, and not, not a lot of people talk about it, and it's the incentive model okay. uh, in, in blockchain. So Bitcoin specifically, so the cryptocurrency using uh, using blo blockchain as the technology, they have done it really well by implementing an incentive model where you have uh, Bitcoin miners confirming the transactions, and they are being paid for the work that they're doing. And that, by the way, and again, without going into technical details, it's the principle of the whole approach where you have a lot of people confirming transactions and those good guys, there are more of them than bad guys just because of the incentive model. So it's extremely, extremely hard to hack a blockchain uh, system, provided mm. you have the right incentives. Okay. So uh, the risk of uh, the blockchain hack, you're saying, is being offset because it, it is, in by nature, the most decentralised network of information anywhere and the validation or authentications are happening based on some social code of ethic that's very strong. This is correct. And that's where, I, when I said at the beginning, you could prove that it's much safer than a traditional database, but that is given you have the right design of the incentive. So you, you design it mm. in such a way that you have more good guys and it's too expensive to hack the system. So Marek, how quickly do you see blockchain becoming a major phenomenon? That's, a, that's an excellent question, and, and I'm going to give you an academic answer, which oh, is, uh, okay. I don't okay. know, but I'm I already you know, seeing I, I like clever men, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, already seeing, I'm already seeing applications of, of, of blockchain uh, in, in various industries, and we mentioned a couple of them. I guess, you know, the time will tell uh, whether the individuals, you know, you and I, are going to start using those. Uh, my take is that a blockchain should effectively become invisible to us, the end users, we should know that there's something behind that removes the friction and it will uh, lower the cost of transaction for us. But it's all about the... Update. So that's interesting. So does blockchain become more a quality stamp? So mm. this is enabled by blockchain. I remember when yeah. we first had online payment transactions and there used to be like this easy zone or a tick or something yeah. that stood in the online payments box when I made an online transaction. Mm. And it gave me, you know, it supposedly gave us some confidence that that information was seen. So would blockchain become that kind of a certified uh, way? This might, be, this might be one thing. Also, blockchain will enable completely new business models. So, so we will start seeing completely new businesses popping up just because blockchain 
made them possible. So it enables um, peer-to-peer transactions Correct. or business-to-business transaction without the intermediary in the middle being, whether it be a bank, an education institution, an accountant. Correct. Or a law firm. Okay. Mm. So t- what about the jobs of the future then? How are we training at you know universities around the world the talent that will be able to enable this blockchain revolution? I think, you know, technology is fairly easy to understand there. I think what is what is extremely hard there is the design of, uh, of blockchain networks design of the incentives, design of the entire system. So so definitely one of the jobs of the future will be the blockchain designer. Yeah. So also, you know, I read causally that perhaps one of the five people we think might be the founder or the creator of Bitcoin, the, the probably the most publicised version of a blockchain utiliser, um, is an Australian, right? So is this an opportunity? Could Australia lead the blockchain revolution? There are strong reasons to believe that uh, that person is Australian. Uh, some people might be questioning that, but it's absolutely a great opportunity. And you know what? Let's talk about it in the next podcast. Yeah. So the enabling of of Australia as the great blockchain uh, world revolution. Correct. Right. So let's finish where we started, you know, this idea that one person's friction is another person's profit. And we should remember it every day. Mm, loving it. Thanks very much for your time, Mara Kowalkowicz, the PwC Chair in the Digital Economy at QT. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Monica.